Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Our guest today is Father Matthew Buning, Catholic Chaplain at Towson University. In our first segment, we discuss the role of campus ministry in reaching today's young people. Later in the show, Father Buning recalls his two personal encounters with St. John Paul II, the great Pope of young people. Here's our interview with Father Matt. Father Matt Buning, thanks for being here on Catholic Baltimore. It is a great joy to be here, George. Thanks so much for this opportunity. How long have you been here at Towson University? I've been here five years. I call myself a super senior, uh, <laughs> which is probably a term used more than grad student right now. Is uh, Sometimes students take a little extra time uh, for their studies. But yeah, and I feel like I'm still learning. I feel like I'm in grad school. There's always something more to learn in campus ministry, but it's been a joyful five years. What is campus ministry and how does it play out here at Towson University? Sure. We actually, it's a student government association group, uh, so recognized by the university, uh, Towson University. In fact, we're called Tier 4 student group, which means that we're at the highest level. Uh, there's a lot of requirements that are, are for those larger groups. We're in the same category, for example, of many fraternities and sororities and things of that nature. But one of the challenges, but we seem to excel at it, is service hours. So, for example, you have to reach every semester a certain threshold of service hours that our students provide for the local community. And so we do that. We have weekly board meetings. We have a student board that is just on fire and fantastic, including all of the you know, normal positions, president, vice president, treasurer, secretary. We have an advertiser, which we're now calling marketing director because he's so good at it. Um, we also have committees uh, that are spiritual committee, our evangelization committee, our service committee. So these are all wonderful groups that we have, or the board, the leadership, uh, student leadership of our, of our student government association. So that's one aspect. So it's connected to the university. It's one of the top tier levels of the student involvement groups on campus. And we also have the Newman Center, which is a blessing. That's a, owned by the Archdiocese. It provides us a space. Uh, the house was built in 1898, I think. And uh, so it's an old house, and it's a definite need of repair, and we've already outgrown it. Uh, we have a chapel there as well that seats about 60 to 70 or so students. And we have about two acres of land. Uh, so it's a really wonderful blessing to have that, especially as Towson University is going through a lot of growth. They're building a brand-new science center, literally right across the street from us. If you've driven up York Road, you've seen all the big construction. They're also building some new dorm spaces. They're renovating the University Union. The complication of that is that we don't have a lot of space on campus. It's at a premium for all the different groups that are there. So having that Newman Center is such an extraordinary gift. We're able to have daily mass, we have adoration every day from 4 to 5 with confessions, which is a big part of the ministry. 
We have Sunday Masses both at the Newman Center and then also on campus as well in the evening. We sometimes call it the Last Chance Mass at 7.30 p.m. Uh, at the University Union. And we also have Bible studies and a lot of our social events and things like that can happen at the Newman Center and also on campus. But it gives us that the flexibility to do a lot more than I think most student groups can do. And there's so much energy and excitement through the student leadership. There's always constantly asking me for, to let's try this, let's do some more things. Uh, yesterday at our board meeting, for example, one of the students said, can we have another day of 12 hours of adoration? At which point I turned around and said, well, my job here is done. If they're asking for <laughs> 12 hours of adoration in the midst of a crazy semester, then it's just a sign of how the faith is alive in these students and they're really striving to help all of the Catholic students on campus and those who aren't Catholic to really grow in their relationship with God and thrive during this uh, sometimes challenging time in college. So uh, I'm really happy with where we're at and what we're, what we're doing. People might be surprised at the sheer numbers here at Towson. We're talking about a huge community. How many Catholics do you estimate are at Towson? Yeah, that's true. It's the largest university in our archdiocese. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons why Archbishop Laurie has put such an emphasis on that, on our ministry. We've got 24,000 students, uh, and that's only growing as they continue to build dorm spaces and things. The statistics show that maybe around 30%, especially in the East Coast and in higher education, are baptized Catholics or non-practicing Catholics or, uh, or, or Catholics themselves. And that's, so that leads to about 7,000 or more students that that's our ultimate goal, of course, to try to reach. And we really are reaching out to them. And because with such a huge university, one of the things that always surprises me, I've been here five years, the ministry's been really growing for five years, but I'll still run into a freshman or someone around campus. They'll say, oh, Father, how you doing? What are you here for? And I'm like, oh, I'm part of the Catholic campus ministry. And they're like, oh, there is one? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there is. And so we're, we keep constantly trying to get the word out and advertise and market to let people know that there's really a, something special going on at the Newman Center, and we really desire to meet all all the students uh, and to let them know what's happening. And you have focus ministry here on campus. Who are focus missionaries? Great question. And I couldn't do it without them. Uh, we have had since the very first year I got there, I arrived along with focus missionaries. Focus is an acronym. It stands for the fellowship of Catholic university students. And it's all recent college graduates who have decided to kind of give two years of their life at least, right after graduation, to be in a very important mission field in our world, and that's college campuses. I sometimes think of it as kind of like the Peace Corps or any of those other great big volunteer organizations, and FOCUS is specializing in having missionaries that recent college graduates, as I mentioned, that are trained really well to evangelize. Curtis Martin is the founder of Focus, and he's written some really great things about relational evangelization, forming missionary disciples, which is at the heart of so much of what we're doing here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. These students focus on reaching out, sorry the pun there, uh, focus on reaching out to students that I might never be able to reach. They go out into the campus, they meet students where they're at, they form friendships. From those friendships, they invite them into Bible studies. Through those Bible studies, they're given the gospel presentation about what we believe as, as Catholics. 
then they're asked to maybe start their own Bible study or enter into a discipleship period, which is more of like intense formation for the college students themselves so that they can become missionary disciples and go out and do the exact same thing, make friends, invite them into the practice of the faith and to uh, Bible studies. And it, it's just great to see it. It kind of grows exponentially. So it's not like a quick growth. It's taken us some years and we're still got a lot of growth still hopefully to do, but it's growth that's substantial and, and um, intentional and strong. So the students that get involved in the campus ministry through the focus missionaries, they're in it for the long haul. And they're, we're trying to make lifelong missionary disciples. We have them for just a few years at college, but the vision and our whole mission is ultimately to get them through college into their parishes, <laughs> to be active and involved and engaging and transforming the culture even outside of the campus experience. And, and I think Focus does a great job with that. And they work. we work hand-in-hand hand, uh, with Focus missionaries to do the good work that we're doing. You have a great interest in John Henry Newman, an English cardinal who will be canonized a Catholic saint in a few more days. Who was Cardinal Newman, and how are you celebrating him here at Towson University? He is a personal hero of mine. Uh, I wrote my thesis, actually, in seminary on Cardinal Newman, and I actually wrote it on the adventure of youth ministry, because Cardinal Newman has always been great at that, and reaching young people. I remember when I was given this assignment, I gave a copy of my thesis to Archbishop Laurie, who said, oh, wow, this is great. It matches up with what you're called to do. Uh, this adventure of faith that Cardinal Newman went on himself personally as he just pursued the truth, and it led him uh, from the Anglican Church to reforming a movement in the Anglican Church and eventually to Catholicism. He's a, just an amazing role model. His beautiful theology, I think we're still starting to unpack some of the true meaning of what he's teaching about development of doctrine, about the nature of faith, which is such at the core of what students are wrestling with. And how can we have certain faith in this uncertain world in which we live in, um, the interplay between faith and reason? So, as you mentioned, super awesome day. He's getting canonized on October 13th. He's going to be made a saint. Historic event in our life of every campus ministry, but especially in a place called the Newman Center. So we're really trying to try to throw a huge festival on October 13th from 12 to 7 p.m., live music, carnival games, food, auction, bingo, all kinds of fun things. Uh, it's a family event open to all people. It's at the Newman Center itself and the grounds surrounding it. Praying for good weather, praying for a wonderful celebration of this amazing, inspiring, uh, soon-to-be saint. And that's open to the entire community, not just Towson? Yep, open to anyone. We have some parking on our campus, and we'll have that all marked off. And there's a place called the Glen Garage, literally right across the street from the Newman Center, and there's free parking on the weekends. So we hope as many people as can would come out and join us for that festival. And where is the Newman Center, Center located? It's at 7909 York Road. It's right across from the iconic building at Towson University called Stevens Hall. It's right there. <laughs> That's great. Our guest today is Father Matt Buning, and when we come back, we're going to talk about St. John Paul II, and Father Matt actually got to meet St. John Paul II two times, so we're going to talk about that when we come back. I'm George Matisek, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? 
read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to The Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Father Matthew Buning, Catholic chaplain at Towson University. And since October 22nd is the Feast of St. John Paul II, we thought we'd talk with Father Matt in this segment a little bit about his personal encounters with St. John Paul II, the great Pope of young people. Father Matt, you actually met the Pope on two occasions. How did that first meeting happen? Yeah, it's amazing to think this leader of the Catholic Church, this holy man, this saint, the Pope himself, he would, believe it or not, invite people to come to his daily mass if there was space available. You had to write to the order of nuns that kind of took care of the papal household, but it was a well-known kind of secret throughout all of the different seminaries throughout Rome that if you had some guests coming in or you just wanted to be lucky enough to attend mass with the Holy Father, you would write this letter. And if there happened to be space at his daily mass, he would actually invite you to join him. I almost feel like it's equivalent of like if the president had extra space on his breakfast table to invite someone just <laughs> to come in and, and share breakfast with him. So it was amazing experience. And so I, my father and my brother were going to come visit me my first year uh, studying in Rome. And my mom couldn't make it, unfortunately. And so I wrote to these sisters a couple months or so beforehand, hadn't heard anything back. Literally a few days before they were arrived, I got a call from the sisters saying, be at the bronze gates, which are these kind of fancy gates to enter into the papal apartments and things uh, at like seven o'clock in the morning. And you'd be able to attend daily mass with John Paul II. So I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. As soon as they got off the plane, I said, guess what, guys? We're going to go tomorrow and have mass with John Paul II. <laughs> 
We arrive at the bronze gates and uh, we're ushered into his chapel. It's a small chapel. I mean, there was probably no more than 30 people there. And there was, sure enough, three chairs waiting for us uh, to join him for mass. I remember the mass was in French. And I think he was welcoming a group of French ambassadors or people of state. Again, we were just extra and we were put in the back of the chapel in these chairs. The Holy Father, by the way, when we walked in, was already vested and kneeling down on his prey to praying deeply. It was moving just to see that. We celebrated Mass with him in this small little chapel. And then afterwards, we're ushered from that room into a large kind of aula or big hall in the Vatican. We all line up around the walls, and uh, myself, my brother, and my father were the last because we were the kind of the add-ins for the Mass. And at the far end of the room, the Pope walks in. This is, by the way, in 1998. He walks in, and he shakes uh, everybody's hand and gives them a rosary. And he did that for the 30 people ahead before me. And he would just shake their hands, give them a rosary. Not a word was said. Everybody was scared. You know, it was kind of like, oh, my gosh, the Pope's coming. And so he comes up to me, and he shakes my hand, and he looks at me, and he goes, dove, which in Italian means, where are you from? My Italian was not very good at that time, but even if he would have spoke English, I would have had no idea what he was saying because I was so nervous. And he hadn't said a word the entire time, shaking all these people's hands. And he looks at me, and maybe because I was obviously not part of the French delegation, he was like, where are you from? But I looked at him like a deer in the headlights. I had no idea what was going on, and there was this awkward pause. His secretary, who is now Bishop Jivitz, he started like, panicking a little bit and he starts screaming where are you from where are you from where are you from (laughs) and so i said "Uh, i'm from america well the pope knew by that time for sure i was from america and he did that famous gesture you know with his hands where he kind of like waves them in the air a little bit and he goes americans americans (laughs) like that and then with a really loving twinkle in his eye he slaps me on the face like pretty hard like a real like a real slap But it had its desired intent because it shook me out of this craziness that I was actually talking to John Paul II. I got my wits about me and I said, Your Holiness, this is my father and this is my brother. And so when he shook their hands, remember he said, the father, the brother, and he saw them. And as he was walking out of the room, he kind of looked back to me and did like a little wave again with that just magical twinkle in his eye. I don't know how to describe it. I remember at at the end, my father was very emotional and uh he told me it's like i never even thought the pope was like a real person i see these pictures of him you know all over the place but like to actually meet him and actually have him call me the father uh, from john paul ii was really a great moment for him (laughs) and then you actually got to meet him again at the very end of his life how did that happen yeah so every year every so many years, the bishops of the world are called in for an ad limina visit, which is uh, a visit for them with the with the Holy Father. Cardinal Keeler was our archbishop at the time, and he invited me. I was a, I think I was a deacon at the time, and this was you know four or five years later, and his health had drastically decreased. He wasn't able to walk anymore. For example, we were ushered into for this meeting into a a smaller room and he was remaining seated at a desk and Cardinal Keeler invited each of us to come up and greet the Holy Father. I remember very vividly that his head was hunched over. He wasn't really even able to look up. There was actually, he was drooling a little bit. There was, you know, he was, had a long day of meetings and, and it was, was struggling, but he was there. 
I fell in love with him even more, I think, in that meeting than when he slapped me and, and gave me that little wink. This was a moment where I was, he was inviting and us into his suffering and suffering for us. And I think that was so much more moving. He's a rock star pope, right? He's amazing, John Paul II, his vitality, his energy. But I think in some ways what he's known for is his public witness of suffering and the strength that he showed in his weakness. And maybe that's when he was his most powerful, most strong. In fact, at the end of his life, he was in the papal apartments uh, right above St. Peter's Square. And it, everyone knew that it was he was soon to go to his heavenly reward. And there was a large group of young people that gathered in the St. Peter's Square spontaneously right outside of his window. And they start chanting, you know, JP2, we love you, you know, Vive el Papa, you know, all the beautiful quote, Saint uh, Subito, Santo Subito, all those things. It's recorded that from his bed, he said, I have searched the world for you, and now you have come to me. And I thought, what a beautiful moment where the young people, he searched for them all over the world uh, with World Youth Days and all kinds of great events that he started. And now at the end of his life, moved by his willingness to embrace whatever comes for love of the church and love of God, Young people identified with that, and they came to him, and they wanted to thank him and for his inspiration, his example of holiness. And uh, I just hold on to that moment, the second time that I, I met him, as really a great moment where I fell in love with him in a deeper way. Uh, yeah. What impact do you think the Pope had on youth ministry and, and campus ministry, especially as you minister here at Towson University, what what lessons do you draw from him? Certainly, his creative, innovative ideas. Who would ever thought of something like World Youth Day? <laughs> I mean, that was crazy event. And how he even thought about it and the practicalities of bringing millions of people together every so often of young people to basically take over whatever country or city they go to. Uh, I think that's one of the important aspects of, of youth ministry and young adult ministry is this kind of innovative, creative, let's try some new things. Let's, we can't just keep doing the same thing. We've got to constantly uh, try new projects, try new events, try new ideas that, that, that can, that can reach uh, young people. Um, so I think that's certainly, I think, one of his lasting legacies. The, the other thing too is his faithfulness, his willing to speak charity and truth. You know, he, it was so obvious he loved people. But at the same time, he would say, put out into the deep, like, this is not an easy call to be a Christian uh, in our world and to and to live out the Catholic faith in all of its truth. It's difficult, but the Pope was there to always show us, I love you, I forgive you, I'm always there for you, and I'll be there within your struggles and with your wrestling with faith when that happens, uh, which I think it happens healthily for all of us. He he was a witness of that as well, and I I know that resonates with young people. None of us are perfect, and we're still trying to figure it all out often. And knowing that there is not judgment, uh, but rather uh, a sense of great love and compassion, and yet holding you to a high standard and you know challenging you. I think sometimes the temptation in youth ministry is to lower the bar to make it really easy for everybody to kind of get over. John Paul II would never do that. He kept the bar high, and he said, I know you can do it. 
God can do it through you. Uh, trust in Him, and you can reach great things. Don't don't settle for mediocrity. Yeah, that's one of His great lines. You know, just strive for for holiness with all of your heart and soul, mind and strength, and and I'll be there for you to help you no matter what. Somehow it reminds me of a, a quote uh, that we all have heard uh, through uh, Cardinal O'Brien when he was here. I remember him saying once, God loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to keep you that way. You know, <laughs> He wants more from us. He's constantly wanting more. And that's an in- enticing thing for young people to hear. Um, sometimes we write them off, you know, and think, well, they're just, you know, we hear things, negative thoughts like, oh, they play video games all the time or they're lazy, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's true, but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> if we tell them that enough or we think of that enough of them, then, hey, that's what they'll live up to. But if we say, no, you're called to be a saint, nothing, nothing less. Like you're called to radical holiness and missionary discipleship. They'll live up to that. They want that challenge to be able to reach out for something bigger than maybe they themselves even think they can do. Father Matt Buning, thank you for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Oh, thank you, George. This is awesome. It's great to be with you. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Father. Yeah. For Catholic Baltimore, I'm George Matisek. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.